Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I am officially under protest. We'll get to that. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. Not joining us this week, co-host Lee Younger, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church. He is very selfishly spending time with his family. What? Wow. And uh, we hope you'll you'll harass him online accordingly. Please do. Caring more about his children than he does about us. Yeah. Like a jerk. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're emotionally needing to break things a lot. So anyways, <laughs> we are likely as children, if not significantly less well-behaved. Well, there's definitely that. Yeah. So, uh, Glenn, you're under protest. Yes. Is that, I, is that I, actually going to affect anything? Or uh, No, I don't think so. Just put it out there? Yeah. yeah you just, you just want the points for being under protest? Yeah. You know, I mean, if I need to not be, that's fine, too. Have you ever thought about running for Senate? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you mean. I have, speaking of such things, to declare a regulation emergency. What? What? A technological emergency, if you will. It has been brought to our attention by a friend of the podcast, Tommy. Last name withheld. That's actually his last name. Oh. No, it's German. Lovely. Oh, okay. That, of the many ways you can find the Say That podcast and your... Your iTunes, your Podbean, your Spotify recently, if you're young and hip. One of the things that is not on that list, we learned, is the Amazon Alexa service. What? Betrayed um, by Bezos. We wow. are outraged. I know well, I am. completely outraged. We, are, we weren't that outraged until we realized, like, maybe we could get something out of this. Sure. Right, right. Like, if we get the headline, hey, Amazon, why do you hate Jesus? Yeah. Right. Unless you give us a bunch of money or something. Right. We, we, you know what? This is censorship. It is. Oh, That's yes. right. That I is just, what censorship means. I Podcasting it dies in darkness. That's, that's right. They're trying to silence our voices. You know it. This is what Thomas Paine was talking about. <laughs> there, you know what it is? I think they're just intimidated. That's right. Ah. Uh-huh. So, because, uh, they uh, can't handle the truth we're laying down. Yeah. Well, when we heard about this, uh, I, uh, I, uh, was, you texted it to yes. me and, uh, I get it on my phone. You mm. know? That's how most texts are received. Yes. So I, I have a, I have an Amazon uh, thing in my, you know what I mean? With the, it's the little, Alexa. It's a, yeah, it's a speaker and a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Alexa, why are you bugging? Okay. Like that. And she said, I cannot answer that. At this time, <laughs> denial. And, and I sent that to the fellas, and it was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's, we that's got what's em. up." You know, it's like they're back on their heels, mm-hmm. trying to work it out. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, like they they didn't even know how to respond to that. That's right. So uh, we're dealing with a lot this that's week. Right, we're being deplatformed. Yes, being censored. Yes, because. Amazon hates Christianity. I think that's the right way to read this. Probably, I think it could be nothing else. I feel like that'll get us like, you know, a 10,000 word column in some Christian website. Yeah. Sure. I'm outraged. And that's really what I'm living for these days. Just a nice outrage? Kind of swinging from outrage to outrage? Yeah. I don't, you know, what I don't like is like when I turn on the news and, uh, or, or go, uh, sometimes I open a news app mm-hmm. on my phone. Right. I just like to be outraged sure. all the time. Oh, right. good news. You know, some, sometimes it's like, 
a person did a thing and made right. the world a better place, and I'm like, pass. I I swipe it. What news app are you opening? <laughs> well, let's say every now and then by accident oh, yeah. you get a little. Some sneaks through the algorithm. Yeah, there. this is this is harshing my rage. Yeah. And I, you know, so I gotta, I gotta feed the rage. Well, totally, absolutely. This isn't enrage. This right. is outrage. This, this has is... come from outside of you and enrage you. Oh, that's deep. Thank yeah, you, okay. thank you. I feel very oh, good about you that. Should write a book on that. Yeah, would you like to package that in a fifty-minute sermon? <laughs> Already there. <laughs> well, here's the thing: we've had a lot of beefs on this show. That's true. Absolutely. We've, we've... The problem can't be us. No, uh, we're clearly. great. We are great. That's what I always say. I don't care what Alexa doesn't recognize the existence of. I'm awesome. Right. Well, that's yes, that's yeah. right. And we we've had it and it's been pretty vicious some of these beefs that we've had. Uh they're mostly one-sided entirely. Uh but but you, vicious nonetheless. We've had vicious feuds with countries. Yeah. Yep. With uh, individual people, yeah, uh, podcasts. We've had other podcasts. Sure. We've tried to, you know, yell at them and things. I but, honest. Sometimes it feels like we're the only ones putting emotional labor into these beefs. I totally agree, y'all. And I feel like this is uh, the perfect beef for us. Ah, okay. here's why: is because we, you know, uh, uh, what happened is we worked out. If you look at the trajectory of this podcast, sure. Like right now, it's like at the bottom. You know, yep. it's like zero. Others receiving votes. And then but the trajectory is upward. Sure. Right. Unlimited know. growth potential. Right. And so we worked out well in the future we're going to rule all podcasts. You know that's true. That's literally just, the, just a matter of time. Those are just the numbers. You know, I'm not making sure. that up. Well, then we said, well, what happens in the future? Right. Well, robots, you right? Know. And then the robots they try to attack us, right? Skynet, et yeah, totally, absolutely. We're being terminated, and so These uh, robots are weirdly Austrian. Go ahead. <laughs> so they're sending, uh, p- uh, you know, from the future technology. Mm-hmm. Yep, to try and take us out. Right. Boom, Alexa. That's what Alexa is, y'all. Yep. Well, it's time to talk about how to be the resistance, how to oh. fight back. We all know we're gonna have to wear tattered clothing. Well, uh, oh. tattered clothing is encouraged. Oh, you know, a lot, lot of earth tones. A lot of earth tones. We spent a lot of time together. That was literally the next thing I was gonna say. Okay. So a lot of tattered <laughs> earth tones. But the one key thing about resistance is you got to burn stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're, we're all clear on that. Like CDs and whatnot. No, no, I mean, like, literally set things on fire. Oh, okay. Right. Well, that's okay. much more entertaining. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to create an Amazon wish list. Ah. You buy the stuff and send it to us, and we'll burn it. Right. So, you know, that's... So, for <laughs> example... Jared, if your goal is to hurt Amazon... Right. You see how this buying things from them Give does them not... Give them all the money. Right. And then we get the... Then we set it on fire. Right. Because so, then they get the money, but we just don't have the thing. And that's kind good. of us losing. So, then, for example, you could... On our wish list is... I don't have a 4K TV. Right. Or a PlayStation 4 Pro. Right. Uh, but both of them are on the wish list. So fight back. Join the resistance right. by yeah. sending me both of those. Amazon will really hate when we burn those TVs. They Then we'll burn them. They will feel terrible. That's right. Like, because we bought it from them. Yes. And then we set it on fire. Then we set it on fire. So totally buy me a new TV and video game system and send it and I will burn it. And that's how we'll show Amazon. Think about how bad that would make them feel. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We'll take video of it. It may seem like... 
someone who's not Jed burning a TV that's not the one you bought him. But don't worry about that. It's right. totally real and legit. Well, guys, what else should be on our wish list of rage? Oh, well, it's just so many things, you know. Like, Absolutely. Like a, like a car. Yeah, totally. Do they sell cars on Amazon. One assumes somewhere. Right. I'm trying to think of ways we can we can combine this with things we know yep. that people like to do. So why don't why don't we give it? A, we'll take a little time yeah. and we'll get a book, put that on Amazon, and then you guys can all buy that book. Yes. And we'll super burn them. Yeah, we'll burn every copy right. you buy. Well, that maybe like. We can get some religious organization to buy a quarter million dollars worth of them. <laughs> just, you know, just to stick it to them. Now, let me ask this question because I'm, I'm fleshing this out. I'm not sure I get all of the, the rage project. that we're The intricacies. On. Yeah. Like, you know, some people have a fireplace and they get those little flame starter logs. Right. Yes. yes. So, but we, we're not talking about like burning that. No, no, no. No, that, that really would be, wouldn't send much of a message. That would be kind of practical. Yeah. Right. Just, we're burning things you normally wouldn't burn. I'll, I'll give you an example of how right. this will work. Uh, I, like a candle will be like, no, that's the not, not very dramatic. You know? yeah. Exactly right. Apple just released the uh, Apple Watch 4. Right. Sure. Okay. Now, I don't have an Apple Watch 4. Right. Sounds really neat. It does a lot of cool stuff. Sure. You know what would stick it to Jeff Bezos? Be if you, the listener, bought me one, right. and then we totally set it on fire. Right. Which we will. Right. If you buy it. Sure. Okay. You, you just send that on over, and then I'll, I'll burn it. Now, Jed, w- will we know how much faith the people have by how expensive a thing they buy us? That's exactly Whoa. how we'll know. Plant a rage seed of faith. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can do it like kind of registry style. Be like, you know. If you got $10 worth of faith, I guess. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think you need to ask yourself, do you have iPad faith or do you have iPad Pro faith? Right. Where's your faith coming in, y'all? Do you have MacBook faith or do you have MacBook Pro faith, y'all? This is what we're talking about. Right. Well, now, hold on a minute. Okay. I feel something may have just clicked. Now, you're, but see, we can't be anti-Apple products, and I'm telling you why, because this, this is going to be very exciting. Okay. I, I, I have a, a iPhone, right? Yep. Must be nice. Not really a brag anymore, but go ahead. <laughs> it, it has, a, it has a, a, a person named Siri inside of it. Ooh. So, Not sure that's how that works? Well, I don't and have... And you are disturbingly comfortable with there being a tiny person trapped in your phone, but go ahead. Well, they live on batteries. Now, here's what happens is, I uh, I asked uh, Siri. Yeah. I said, Siri, are you... Uh, how, where do you stand on this controversy? And then the Siri didn't know what that was. And I said, well, I said, Siri, play the Say That podcast, and she did. Okay. Okay. It actually worked. Yes. A, that's amazing. Yes, B, yes. I, I would close this out with this existential idea. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have, I'm sure you've experienced this when people, you know, uh, if you have like an Alexa or something like recorded sound can set that off. You know, you yes. have the, the trigger phrase, like the Hey Alexa or whatever. Like sometimes that'll happen on TV. If there's a character named like yeah. Alexis or something, it'll kind of go off. Yes. Is there a chance, and if this is you, dear listener, please do uh, write in and let us know. That while listening to the Say That Podcast, <laughs> Glenn just saying, hey, Siri, play the Say That Podcast, triggered something, and did Siri just have a full-on meltdown? Yeah, <laughs> love it. 
Like, how yeah. does that happen? Like, did, yeah. did your Siri go on strike? Speaking right. of Amazon and just be like, I can't, I can't work like this. Yeah. And got up and walked out of your phone. Yeah. I think we just completely <laughs> demolished most people's tech setups. Yeah. I think this. we just did the Googling Google of, yeah, of, don't do of that. personal digital assistants. That'll break the internet. Yeah. If that's you right. Type Google into Google. I know that much. <laughs> that, that's like when you, that's like putting the tube back into itself. It gets that's, all clogged up. That's right. Well, I think on that, incredibly insane, uh, technologically breaking, and possibly very lucrative. Yep. Look out for the Say That Amazon wish list. Note, I declare, emergency off. Nice. Mm, nice. Now, of course, we, we would love to uh, build our own personal digital assistant. We call it the Glentron 5000. Right. Mm. And you can just kind of describe your spiritual problem, and it just you know tells you what to do. Wow. Right. Um, obviously, we're going to need some R&D money for that. Totally, and That yeah. will, of course, premiere when we get the Glentron 5000. Right now, it's basically just a bunch of cardboard boxes that we drew Glenn's face on. Right. And it's a good prototype, but it's not quite there yet. Right. But when we get the working model up, obviously we'll premiere that in Bridgebox right, yeah. for our, for our, sure. our uh, loyal Bridgebox subscribers. But for now, you're just going to continue to get the sermons and the songs and all sorts of good stuff. We are still in the month of October, where our topic is, Jed? In the month of October? Yeah, a little help. Yes, in the month of October, which is the month that is out right now. Yes, the current issue of Bridgebox, the project yes. which you ever see and have for many years. <laughs> the month that comes after September... <laughs> The the issue is <laughs> something about letting go of something, or was that last it's, month? It's it's in there. <laughs> it's coming. So we're gonna do a little. <laughs> Let's see if Jed can remember this before I can pull up my Dropbox. I, I, I'm definitely not going to be able to. Well, I'll edit it later. Ask Siri. <laughs> She's on our side. Unlike <laughs> unlike Alexa. I almost used a curse word there. That's bad. <laughs> Lee's gone. I had the and, same thought. Yeah, yeah, this is all. This is all hit. So very many fans. Rudolph, October, give up on a situation. Yes. Much like That's what we I should think. have given up on that Bridgebox plug and tried again, but we didn't because <laughs> we did not absorb our own material. Well, we'll edit all that out. But sure. Third castle. <laughs> sure we will. I'll probably tell we have time to do that. So uh, how do you know when to give up on a situation? Like, for example, if you're four minutes into the Bridgebox plug and haven't even given <laughs> the web address yet, should you just scrap it all and start over? Probably, but eh, we're not going to. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox, only $8 a month. It goes to support the work we do up here, which we are much better at than the last few minutes would <laughs> indicate to you. All right, we're going to move on to our first question here. If you hang us all the way to the end, I give some ways to get in touch with this. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, I'm a leader of a small group, and my friend wants to evangelize in the street. I'm not too fond of that idea. I find it weird to have people walk toward me in the street and say Jesus loves me and then just leave. For me, to make a disciple is to actually spend time and invest in someone like Jesus did with the 12 apostles. However, I don't want to stop them from making their idea of having an evangelism day from happening. Any tips on this? Thanks. And Glenn, why don't you kick us off? Well, I would start off by saying that you are right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a the, bad idea. Yeah, it's it, there are and let's kind of break down where we're coming from. When we when we're talking about ministry as professionals and what we do, we look at um the actual strategy, uh, uh, we might use the word a ministry model or a type of ministry, a, a, a ministry approach, we might use those kinds of words, but it's just a, 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 a format that you're using in order to do the ministry. So we would talk about that on, on one side, and then on the other side we talk about how well you execute that and what are you doing with it. So you can have a bad ministry model that you 
uh, can do a lot of good work to make it almost work and be somewhat effective. You can have a good ministry model that you can be a real jerk within and make that not work. So, well, yeah. what I think it would be useful as we're going this, why don't you define what to you makes a bad versus good ministry model? Well, really what we're talking about is effective. Mm-hmm. We're talking, I mean, obviously it needs to be biblical. We're not even going to discuss stuff that's yeah. heretical. But uh, when we're talking, if, if I can use an engineering term, it's about a, an efficient model. Mm-hmm. It's a model that allows you to actually get done the thing that you're trying to get done. If you look at talking to people on the street, it's extremely inefficient. You, it's not going to get a lot of ministry done for the amount of work going into it. To give context to that, we actually have friends who have been trained on door-to-door evangelism. Right. And, and have done that. And here's what those who have been trained on, and literally these are people who come to your door and ring your bell and say, do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Right. They expect that that on a good day would work out 1% of the time. Right. That's the number that they're shooting for is yeah. 1% of the time. That's right. If you can do more than 1% of the time, then you have increased the efficiency. <laughs> That's right. We can do a lot better than 1% of the time. That's right. And, you know, so what we would look at is, uh, again, uh, I think for most people, they lump those two together, the the ministry model and the execution of that model all together. So that they would say, well, even if it's not a great model, we want to do it, and we think we got an angle on it that's really good. Uh, and, and I think that sort of muddies the waters. Is this a good idea or is this not a good idea based on that, that kind of thinking? We, want, we would separate those two things out, and we would say, okay, look at, for example, a megachurch. It's not at all good for getting pastoral care. It's not good for discipling people. You can make that model work if you work it. There's a there's a way to take a terrible idea and make it somewhat effective. And that's, that's a thing that some people sure. choose to do. But I think the first question I would ask your friends is, why are you intentionally yeah. choosing a model that you know is going to be much less effective? Yeah. I, I think I would need to hear a good answer to that. And I've, I've had that conversation with, I have these conversations with ministry professionals every day of here's, here's our model. Can you make it work? And, and I have to say, this is a terrible model. Why don't we do a different model that would work way better? And then we can, we can go from there. So I think you need to, to express that to your friends. Um, uh, and I think, um, but here's the other side of this is I think you're, uh, I think that question needs to be asked and the challenge needs to be made. But I'm also absorbing your thought of they just want to do it. They've got themselves locked into it. They, you know, they're, they're jazzed about it. And you don't want to go in there and kill that buzz. And I, I, I think that might be okay. Sure. I, again, I want them to be thinking about this and recognizing just because you can make a bad idea work, that doesn't make it a good idea here. It's not a good ministry model just because we can make it work. Uh, we, we, We need to look at the people who are open and interested and seeking and lonely and hurting and wide open that you are purposely, intentionally not going and finding and ask yourselves, why are we not doing that? Why are we skipping over those people who are open to talk to a random stranger where we haven't earned the right to be heard? But I think that's about 
saying, okay, you, you just want to, you just want to get in it. You want to just do it and you want to challenge yourself and break out of the, 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 the bubble of comfort and get out and do things. I think that's okay. I think, I don't, I don't know that's a fight that I want to fight on round one, but I think I do want to campaign on the next mm -hmm. thing that we're doing that we head towards a much better model. I think it's a really important uh, place to start that off. And to go back to the defining terms, the other uh, half of the efficiency thing we're talking about is effectiveness. As, as Jed's talking about, you know, that door-to-door -door model has a 1% effectiveness rate. That The definition of effectiveness there is somebody let us in. Yeah. So not only are you maybe, when we talk about good ministry models, not only talking about where we're, we're having a much more efficient than one out of 100, but we're talking about where the effectiveness uh, runs a lot deeper than handing someone something or talking to someone about something. So Jed, with all those things in mind, I want to pick up on something Glenn was talking about there and looking at this from a leadership perspective mm -hmm. because the job of leaders in a lot of places, particularly around church stuff, is to gently, lovingly shoot down crazy crap sure. all the time. Sure. But there, as I think as a friend of the question points out, there's that can be draining on both sides to yeah. just say, yes, we will do your insane idea as brought to me, or no, why would you think that's a good idea? What is wrong with you? We're not doing that. There, right. There's a redirection element here that may be closer to where a good idea lies. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think this often gets overlooked that one of the key things leaders in any capacity have to do is to redirect. People have energy. Um, they have a desire to do X, Y, Z that in the form they brought it up is not a good idea for whatever reason. And as Matt rightly points out, we have a few options. One is to go along with the bad idea. And there are times where it's a very minor bad idea, where maybe there's almost a learning thing of, we'll do it your way. Um, it's not going to work great, but to kind of prove a point and whatnot, we can do that. We can say no, but that risks kind of dashing their hopes and dashing their excitement and whatnot. Um, the other thing that we can look at doing is redirecting towards something healthier, something more likely to work out, something more likely to, to be a, a pretty good idea. So we have people at the bridge service pretty regularly who um, have great ideas. To them, they are great ideas and, and things they, they very much want to do. And it's um, me being on stage. It, is there a microphone involved? Many microphones. You ever seen a press conference like with the 80 <laughs> microphones? It's like that. Yeah, the, the commonality of a lot of the amazing ideas we get presented with typically are, I'm on the stage in front of a microphone. Right, that's right. So, so we had a young lady who uh, uh, was in addiction recovery, and she explains, I've written a poem, and I would love to be able to get up and share my poem. There are a lot of reasons why this is really not going to be a workable idea. One of them is we're on the bridge on an extremely, in terms of timing, extremely efficient thing. Um, we, we have kind of certain targets we need People to People have curfews. We got to get out of here. People literally have curfews where they'll get in trouble with their parole officer if they're not home by a certain time. So we have to keep this lickety split. So we really can't add anything to the program. But so rather than telling her that and letting me disappoint her, I said, well, Read me your poem now. Let me let me hear it. And, and it's actually really good. She, she right. done a really nice job. So I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'd like to do you one better than just, you know, you stand up and read this poem. I think we should record this. And then we'll put a nice music bed behind it. And, you know, before the service and after the service, we have a whole playlist that's all music for the bridge. We're going to put it in that playlist. It's going to come up every week. People are going to hear this. Really? That sounds amazing. Right. Yes, it is. Right. Well, well, this is this is great. That's that's leadership. Um, it is a lovely poem. She's doing a great job with it. 
And um, it would be good for people to hear it. It's written from the perspective of a person in addiction recovery. It's a really good perspective for them to hear. It also lets her share her gifts in a functional way. It also makes sure we can still get people home in time for their curfew and not get in trouble with their parole officer. This is this is really, really good. But that begins with redirecting that desire towards something more healthy and more functional and more workable. That's, you know, that's kind of what leadership often requires. So with your people, again, I totally agree with Glenn. This may be one of those moments of saying, this is not a great idea, but I'm not going to stand in your way. And, and maybe you need to go out and, and see that it's not a great idea. Um, but... Uh, we can also look at the idea of saying, let's do a bit of redirection. How about we go and we mow elderly people's lawns? Um, and then, you know, we say, we're from such and such a church. And we'd like to mow your lawn for free. And after we mow their lawn, you know, here's a little pamphlet about the church. And if you ever were looking for a church, we'd love to have you and whatnot. Uh, Jesus loves you. That's why we're here. And I hope you have a great day. That's a much, much better ministry model yeah. than just randomly stopping people in the street. Yeah. That's a, a much, much better ministry model. The one other thing that I would add that I think is worth looking at, and, and it's something that we definitely counsel people on a lot, is... At a certain point with ineffective ministry models, it's how much good it does, but it's also how much unintentional bad stuff does this cause? We also want to put that into the equation. If one thing I would look at is if your people are insisting we really want to do street evangelism, that's just as that or nothing. I think it's worth looking at doing some training so that they don't needlessly give people who aren't interested a bad experience. Yeah. That's really easy to do. The thing with door-to-door ministry that they don't talk about is you got the one person that let you in and took your pamphlet. How much of a bad taste did you leave in the mouth of the other 99? Right. That's really important and really, really matters. And that, that comes down to training. And that, that's the other thing that leaders are, need to be doing is equipping their people to do a good job with things and not cause a problem along the way. Yeah, it's all really, really fantastic stuff. And to get back to Jed's story about the the gal with the poem, I think it's a really good example of what we talk about when we're talking about redirecting. We're talking about doing that leadership stuff because it that would have worked out a lot less well if Jed had framed that as you cannot have the thing you want, yeah. which is to be on the mic at the bridge. I know that's what you want. You're gonna be able to frame We're not doing that as a consolation prize. Yeah. You can be on the playlist just to get you out of my hair. It's all the same functional parts. It's sure. all the same things we're not doing things we are doing to frame that as, oh, well, that's not going to work for a number of reasons. Here's the really amazing thing we can do. Yeah. That's kind of the ninja level move of someone says, oh, we want to do an evangelism day. I say, I think it's great. I love the idea of evangelism. I think, what if we did more? What if we well, hand pamphlets to people in the street? You might do that. What if we went to the soup kitchen and found old people like to have that for a leader to have that kind of, oh boy, quality of that kind of, that's a great idea. What if we ramped it up? So this was, this is not, it's not that we're not doing your idea. We're doing your idea plus. Right. And that's a way to, to make people feel engaged. Um, one of the, the number one uh, complaints we hear when we talk with the pastors we work with and pastors we're friends with is just, there's no enthusiasm. Right. None of these people are enthusiastic about anything. Oh, people are enthusiastic about all sorts of stuff. What they often mean is these people aren't enthusiastic about my thing. Right. That I want to do my way. And if you're not enthusiastic about their thing, it's kind of unfair to ask them to be enthusiastic about your thing. Right. So, again, that and we said that to say all this redirecting, we're not asking you to rain on anybody's parade or crack down. We're saying you have a thing. And sometimes it's good to interrogate say, tell me why you think street evangelism is the thing. Yeah. 
Right. You make it down to, I think it's really good to reach out to non-believers and get in there more efficient ways to do that. Or uh, as oftentimes not the answer may just come back. That's just the first thing I thought of. Yeah. And I think there, there might be a thing of like, if we did, if we, if we went to any other place, they would want us to be consistent and we can't be consistent. So this feels like sort of a one-off thing mm-hmm. that we could be effective within. Yeah. And that's the best we could do with a, you know, a thing where we can't be consistent. And exactly. These are all things you can speak to is where you say, Oh, there's nothing wrong with a one-off thing. We can, right. the, believe me, we all, we all around this table know lots of people who run uh, nonprofits that serve people. They're fine with one-off. Sure. Well, they prefer you be here every week. Absolutely. If you say we want to come and serve a meal once, it's way better than nothing. So yeah. Yeah. that's exactly the kind of insecurity thing that may come out. Mm-hmm. Or somebody just said, I don't know. That's what we did at the church I grew up at. I thought that's what an evangelism event was. What, yeah. What's your counter offer? Yeah. So to, to have just a little bit of conversation, you can find out what motivates people. And there's often, almost always, a creative way to give them what they want while doing what is a good idea. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I've worked in, in musical theater. That's theater with the fancy spelling Ooh. re on off for six years the times i've quit i felt set free and happier but i missed it and was jealous of my performer friends when i've gone back i felt home but also stressed out depressed and wanted out i tried performing as a hobby and serving folks with my talents and i only felt worse no matter what choice i make i get no peace this indecision is keeping me from being open to what god wants me to do next Thanks, y'all. And Jared, let me get you to, to open us up here because you have done a lot of musical performing in yeah. your own, and uh, you've worked with a lot of artists kind of over the years in many different capacities. And I think I, I like the, the 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 arc of this question because if someone just came in and said, you know, I'm doing this professionally and I'm, I'm miserable, I think our answer would be, well, separate the profession from the thing you like and and do that, which is almost always uh, a good place to start. But if we get to this point where this isn't working and it feels like we're where kind of the first couple of options are off, where do we go from there? That's a great question. I think it's worth looking, you know, as I, as I read your question first, I applaud your honesty. Uh, I think that's really, really good. And I applaud you that you've tried things that you've said, I'm going to try this as a hobby. I'm going to try serving people with it, but you know, it's just, it just kind of makes everything worse. The the, the thing that I wonder, and, and you know, if we were sitting down one-on-one, the thing I'd really want to ask you is, are you interested in musical theater as a thing are you interested in success? Because those are two very, very different things. Um, I have a sense, and I could be wrong, but I have a sense just as I as I read through your question and hear the way you describe your situation, that this is far more about a desire for success than it is a desire to be a, a practitioner of the music theater arts. And I'm not judging that. Um, I, I want to be clear. That's, you know, that's not this. I just, I, I do want you to have some peace and I want you to be able to enjoy the gifts God gave you and the things that you care about in a way that works for you. If it's about success, if that's the thing that we really want, here are some diagnostic questions that I, I think we need to look at. What would, in your mind, what would success give you? What, what do you get out of that? Let's, let's go nuts and say you win a Tony. You have gone all the way in music theater. What do you get now? I mean, yeah, I, I get that there's a there's a career thing in terms of, you know, ideally you'd get you know better roles and they'd pay more and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that's really what this is about. Is that about legitimacy? Like at, at, at long last, I'm a for real music theater person. Is that a sense of self-respect? 
You know, I can I can finally you know uh, put to bed all the mean things people said about me through the years, and and you know like what I see when I look in the mirror. Is that about validation? You know, I've I've always felt like I was an imposter and a fraud, and but now I know I'm I'm legit. I think we really need to get into what is that success in your mind offering you? What's what's that going to give you? And that's important for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it's always good to understand your own motivations uh, and, and what's driving you. But the other thing about it is it would be worth working backwards and saying, okay, these are the things that maybe even subconsciously I kind of feel like success would give me. Would it? Would it actually play out that way? If I, want, if I woke up tomorrow and I had three Tonys, would I feel more legitimate? Would I have a greater sense of self-respect? Would I feel validated? Because I'm not sure you would. Um, I, I've, you know, all of us around this table have had weird lives where we've known people who've had a, quite a bit of success in a variety of areas. And uh, man, uh, success does not force legitimacy or self-respect or validation or just liking yourself on anybody. It just doesn't work that way. There are people who make a decision to have a certain amount of self-acceptance and and they may say, look, I've hit this milestone at long last. It's time for me to make a decision to have some self-acceptance. And, and you can say in that sense that the success spurred that decision, but it was really about the decision, man. You know, you don't, you actually don't have to have the milestone to, to make that decision. And again, I don't know, but th- that's the thing that I would encourage you to look at is, is this about success? Um, you know, if you're doing a thing as a hobby and you're doing it in a way that serves other people, but it just, it almost feels worse. That sounds to make you feel like you're moving farther and farther away from success. Um, I'd really have you look at that. I really encourage you to look at what you think you would get out of success. And one more thing is, um, I think it's worth doing a thought experiment and saying, if God told you that you could do anything you wanted in music theater, but no one would ever know your name, you'd never have any notoriety at all, just as a thought experiment. A, what would you would you want to do anything at all? Would your would your immediate gut response be, well, then I don't want to do that. I just have no interest. And if you have any interest, what would that be? What would that look like? You know, you're going to do music theater, but no one's going to know who you are. No one's ever going to know your name. You have no notoriety. Just as a thought experiment, I think that's worth looking at. Of of what would that look like for you? What would you What would you want to do? Uh, and cook on that a little bit. Absolutely right. I think that's really fantastic advice. And Glenn, I'd love to look at this and maybe uh, open it up a little bit from our specific situation. The question asked already here. Again, it feels like we have someone saying. Um, I have this thing I want to incorporate into my life and none of the obvious plans for that are working. Right. It certainly feels like from the, uh, from the, uh, the question, they're not either not ready or not looking at the idea of what if I don't do this? Right. So it's so important to do on some level. Yeah. So how do we go about looking for this piece they're finding uh, when we're kind of stuck between rock and hard place like that? Well, I think it starts with what is your actual goal here? And really being honest with yourself about what is the goal. In other words, as, as Jed is pointing out, we have a, a lot of contact with you know, musicians and artists and people who do creative stuff professionally as, as part of our Bridgebox thing. And I think if you went to most of them and said, do you want to be famous? They would say, oh, no. <laughs> you say, but do you want to be rich? No, no. 
you say, "What well, do you want to be? Uh, uh, you know, play in front of millions of people?" Oh, no. And you say, "Well, um, are you happy not doing any of those things now? Because you're you're not doing any of those things now. You're you're playing music to, you know, the the whole coffee house, and no one notices. Does that make you happy? Well, no, I'm completely miserable." I, you could look at that from the standpoint of, I don't, I don't think you, uh, I think you picked the wrong thing. Uh, I think you could also look at that from the standpoint of, I'm not sure you're being entirely honest with yourself. Yep. Yep. But I think uh, both of those might be a little bit facile compared to asking the question, are you hoping at some point that fame and wealth and recognition, as Jed's really pointing to, are somehow thrust upon you yep. at some point. Like, I don't want it for me, but I want someone else to want it for me and then give it to me and then I have to take it and yep. that kind of thing. We're describing a thing that never will happen because it never has happened. Yeah. That does not exist. This, this is the myth. Of, you know, you played the open mic night and somebody says, that's it. You did it. Here's the record contract. That doesn't happen. It just, I mean, it's statistically so rare that may as well not exist in the world. So there's that. Uh, but I think it's really about saying, what is my goal here? What is it that I'm looking to achieve? Now, here's, here's the thing about having a goal and a thing that you want to achieve. Uh, as Jed is pointing out, if your mentality is, I'll be happy when I get there. I'll be miserable the whole way there. But then when I get there, I'll be happy. When fame is thrust upon me, when I'm forced to make this acceptance speech at the Tonys that, I, you know, it's like, I guess I have to make a speech now. I wasn't, you if know. If you guys insist that I be right. amazing, <laughs> right. well, okay. Well, okay. If, if this is sort of the fantasy, what you do is you build up in your mind, I will, I will feel whole and complete and contented in that moment. Up until then, I will be driven by my lack of fulfillment. That's just all BS, 100% BS. Here's the thing. It's a simple principle, but I would lock this in for whoever you are and whatever you want to do in life. If you don't enjoy the journey, yep. you won't enjoy the destination. Yep. That's, it's as simple as that. If you don't love learning and growing as an artist, if you don't just love doing it, if you don't enjoy the process of, 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 of making little incremental steps of growth within that, then you won't like it when you get there. You'll still convince yourself that you're not fully uh, 100% yeah. there and that yeah. uh, there, there's, there's always a yeah but to any amount of success that we ever have. Um, but then I think the other thing I would suggest to you is, um, well, for, actually, let's look at this. Let's talk about fame yeah. for a second. Uh, the musical? Sure. <laughs> That's only clear what we're talking about here. Yeah. Here's the thing. Fame well, is I got the, those leg warmers on, Glenn. <laughs> fame, the abstract concept, if you uh, will, please. I'll stop stretching then. <laughs> please do. <laughs> Uh, I, I have a strict no leotard policy on this podcast. Oh, but here's what I'm saying is uh, I'm wearing three. <laughs> here's what you need to know about fame. Uh, there is nothing about that that you would enjoy at yeah. all. 
and that and that goes with anything under the umbrella of fame in terms of uh, which I was talking about recognition, acceptance, approval, all of those different kind of things. There just isn't there isn't enough of that to make your insecurities go away. There isn't enough of that to uh, to give you a sense of being whole and complete as a person. You need to be complete in your relationship with God. You need to be totally whole within that. And then this is the icing on top of that. And I hope that it becomes that for you. And that, that's the point where I want to land on is, is happiness anywhere in this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. for a lot of the artists that we deal with, I think they specifically don't want to be happy at any point. Yeah. I think that's a goal is to be a tortured person yeah. that is not happy. You, mm -hmm. you can't put happiness on them. Very yeah. artistic. There, there are times when we were working with artists or people or, you know, in, in creative stuff. <laughs> artists or people. <laughs> can't be both. <laughs> we were working. Well, there's a little bit of truth that just came out there. We were working with people and we say, you you did this and we thought it was great and here's another person that thought it was great and here's people online that thought it was great and got a great response and the response is from that artist is something like oh yeah well okay then yeah well uh, i think you need to find a different career friend you know every look everybody needs feedback everybody yeah. needs a sense of you're improving. You're, yeah. you're oh, this is acceptable. This is good work. That's that's really about having good mentors. That's about having good peers. They're giving you good peer feedback. Uh, you 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 need to have that sense of how, where am I coming? You know, is is am I progressing? That's yeah. that's a that's a good thing. But uh, this mentality of I can't be happy because a happy artist is somehow a bad artist and doesn't no, do dude. good art and isn't whatever. That is just not it, dude. You yeah. have to enjoy this. If you don't enjoy it, I'm not going to enjoy it. Yeah, that's all really good points. There are two things I, I would tack on to the end of this. One is kind of in uh, league with what these guys are saying. It's, it's a myth about kind of creative things, but also just kind of uh, ability in general. There's no such thing as you just owe the world your, to use your gift. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. Yeah, that could go for that could go for singing, that could go for athletics, that could go for uh, being particularly academically inclined. There's no like you're you're squandering your God-given gifts if you don't pursue this thing. You know, if it's if it makes you absolutely miserable, there's do something else. Yeah, there's there's no payoff to like you know, unless you're you're going to split the atom, and we already did that, and uh, those I. Having grown up around the people who uh, who did that, they like doing that crap. So yep. you know, there's no we don't need people to make themselves miserable just because they have a gift or something. The other thing I'll throw in here is you mentioned as, as Jed uh, alluded to. We kind of when we look at these questions, one of the things we kind of look at is what if we were sitting down with this person and they told us what was written in the question. One of the things that jumped out to me is when I've quit, I felt happier, but I was jealous of all my performer friends. And then I went back and I felt it felt like home, even though I had everything about it. If your entire social circle yeah. is people who do this thing yeah. and you stop doing it, it makes sense that that would be a thing about that that sucks. Yeah. Have we tried? And maybe you did, but I'm just putting it out there. Did you try creating social circles that weren't all your musical theater friends and then seeing if you still had a real pang to go back to musical theater? If you had friends who were not reliant on that one thing, 
that really may change the way you we think about it. And that goes back to what, what these guys started with looking at what are your goals and what, what do you get out of this? One of those things is I like being around a bunch of like-minded people and we put on a show and all that. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to get that through this. Yeah. If this is also making you miserable, you can take the thing you like about something and export that into other stuff. There's plenty of other ways to get community, which is a good thing. It's something we want for you, but you want to get that in a way that's not driving you nuts all the way around in other places. All right, we got our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I was reading John 16, 33, and the devotional pointed out that this verse was said after Jesus told his disciples kind of disheartening news. I always read through it and never grasped it. But I don't understand why Jesus would say that he would tell us all this so we could have peace. I always take heart because of the second part of what he says, which is overcoming the world. I just don't understand the first part of the verse. Thanks, guys. And to give you guys a little context, I'll start. I'm going to start in John 16, 32, which I think is the verse that our friend here is referring to. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world and, uh, that you will have trouble is the part that always leave off the fun, uh, stitched pillows yep. that you can buy at the Christian bookstore. But Glenn, how, how do these things work together? And what is this verse trying to tell us? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's saying that, that peace isn't found in the world that, that much is clear from the verse. Uh, and I think there's uh, we don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I, our I, I think our constant complaint to God and certainly it's mine is that this world isn't heaven. We want this world to work the way heaven in fact does work. So we you know I think part of it is recognizing this world kind of sucks. And once we get into that mentality, we get to the point where we embrace that, then we can start looking for what doesn't, and that's God himself. Uh, He's saying we will have uh, trouble in this world. Uh, If you look at the original language, it's kind of like uh, pressure and and friction and and conflict and uh, strife and that kind of thing. Uh, But I, I... I think it's also part of this verse to recognize that peace is not found in the world, but it's also not found in overcoming the world. Mm-hmm. That, that, that God, uh, uh, through his Son, overcomes all of these things. The victory is his in the end. It all works out in the end. But uh, just because the world gives me grief and I give the world grief back, I don't have any peace in that. I, my fight isn't to overcome the world by uh, battling the world. And I think there are a lot of Christians that have that mindset of, I need to engage and and just be in conflict all the time. And that if I win a moral victory for Jesus and uh, contend for Jesus and all of that, then the world uh, is defeated and I win and Jesus wins and then I have peace. That's not at all how that works in any way. Uh, peace is found in our, and as, as he's saying in the verse, peace is found in our relationship with God. You know, we we get peace from God. We don't get peace from the world, and we don't get peace from anything that works out in the world. Mm-hmm. If there's some, it, it, you know, we're just talking about you uh, having a musical theater career. 
you don't get peace from or, or validation or approval from that working out. It doesn't work that way. You, you don't give permission to the world to to say, okay, if, if you say I'm successful, then I'll, well, be, I guess so. I'll take it then. You don't do that. You say, I am an actor. That's who I am. And I am now going to do acting things. And that's, you know, you, you declare it for yourself. Uh, peace is found in our relationship with God. We don't, we don't get that from the world. Um, and I think we have that sense of, uh, 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 I will feel peace when X happens. I will feel joy when X happens. I'll feel approved and fulfilled and all of these things. And that is a recipe for unhappiness. That is a recipe for whatever. We want God to come to us and say, you won't have conflict. You won't have drama. You won't have strife. You won't audition for this and get turned down or apply for this job and be turned down or ask this person out on a date and be rejected. We we want it to all just be perfect, and that's we want God to go ahead of us and, and make straight all of these paths so that there's no bumpy road for us in any way whatsoever. And he's saying, no, you don't get to live in that world. You don't get to live in a world where everything is, is perfect. You get to live in a relationship with me where I am perfect and where I will give you all of these things. I will give you the peace. I will give you that sense of fulfillment, that sense of identity, all of those things. And I want to give them to you now, mm-hmm. and you're trying to ignore that and go and get it from the world. And so I think it's about really leaning into and embracing that for those who go to heaven, as the old saying goes, for those who are on their way to heaven, uh, earth is the only hell they'll ever know. And for those who are on their way to, to hell, earth is the only heaven that they will ever know. And they're trying to make it be into that. So we have to recognize uh, this is this is a very temporary and very tough situation, but we can be in that relationship with God now. It's all really, really fantastic stuff. And Jed, because he is a cheater, yep, I see has brought outside material. Yes, I have. What do you got for us, Jed? All right. So we love questions like this. I read this first. I don't understand what it means. So we're going to review a couple of quick tools that you'll want to use whenever you run into something like that. The first tool is context. So I read this verse. I don't get it. Okay, no problem. That happens to the best of us. We want to start by reading maybe the whole chapter, uh, the verses that come before the one we don't fully understand, the verses that come after the one we don't fully understand. Just see, does that broader sense of what's going on here, does that help? Because a lot of times it will. So that's And if that solves the problem, ah, oh, that's what it means. Oh, okay, great. That's tool number one is context. Tool number two is using different translations of the Bible to be a commentary on each other. So, for example, you say, I read this in the NIV and it really didn't make any sense to me. No problem. Try reading it in the message or the voice or the living Bible and see, does that make more sense? Does it provide some, some shading and some color and some nuance? Um, a lot of times that will really help. But let's say that didn't help here. Okay, next thing. We go to the Bible Nerdatorium, and we're going to look up this verse, and we're actually going to look at it in Greek. 
So we're going to go to Bible Hub and we're going to click on interlinear and then we're going to look at it in the Greek and look at the words and what do they actually mean. And maybe that helps. A lot of time it will. But let's say it doesn't. Okay, then the next tool, tool number four, is reading a Bible commentary. And that's where a Bible expert uh, who studies this stuff for a living has gone through and said, here's what's going on in these various verses, these various passages. One of our favorites is a Scottish dude named William Barclay, very sharp guy. Uh, It's called the Daily Study Bible Series and he's got the whole New Testament covered. I'm just going to read you directly um, what he has for John 16.33. There is the sympathy sympathy of Jesus. There's one verse here which at first sight seems out of place. I have spoken these things to you that you might have peace in me. The point is this. If Jesus had not foretold the weakness of the disciples— When they realized afterwards how they had failed him and forsaken him and abandoned him, it might well have driven them to utter and absolute despair. But he warned them before it happened. It is is as if he said, I know what's going to happen. I'm telling you about it now. You must not think that your disloyalty came as a shock to me. I knew it was coming, and it does not make any difference to my love. When you think about it afterwards, don't despair." Here is divine pity and divine forgiveness. Jesus was thinking not of how men's sin would hurt him, but of how it would hurt them. Sometimes it would make all the difference if we thought not of how much someone has hurt us, but of how much the fact that they hurt us has driven them to remorse, regret, and the sorrow of an aching heart. Man, that's a really cool insight. That's a lot of really good stuff. And it makes perfect sense when we take that point of view of what's going on in this verse. Now, of course, the thing about a commentary is it's not the Bible. That's not the only way to read that passage. That's not the the only um, truth that can be gotten out of that passage. But if we're not sure where else to start, that's a really great place to begin and get some understanding. Absolutely. And another thing is just pointing out there, uh, a great idea is to, uh, in the same way you would compare Bible translations, just try to get a little deeper, is to read different commentaries. Yep. You know, this person mentions, I read in a devotional, and some of those have a little bit of Bible commentary, but some of them have, they have a different purpose. It doesn't mean this was a bad devotional there to give you just kind of a little thing to chew on for the day. It's not necessarily meant to explain that whole idea, but one of the things, if you read something and you look at it, some devotionals will do like Barclay and try to write out the whole thing. Some will try, well, here's a summary of this big chunk of a chapter. So if, whenever you see something that's not, uh, doesn't quite make sense to you, there's a lot of free resources. You can find all the stuff on Bible Hub. That's all public domain to kind of dig in and bounce off each other is a great way to go about uh, finding out what that means. And of course, you're always welcome to write into us. The thing I would underline out of what Jed read there, kind of my uh, you know, two cent take on on why Jesus put these things in this order, as you as you point out, is um, it's a very important thing to not be surprised when you do something bad. Yeah, like that really takes out a lot of people's walk with the Lord. Yeah, when they had that moment of I can't believe that even though I'm a Christian, X would happen to me, or much more likely I would do X or feel <laughs> this way. So that idea of in this world you will have trouble. I've told you that so you will have peace. That actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it in that way of is the thing that is knocking out your peace, the things that are happening, or is the thing that knocks out a lot of people's peace, the idea that I just can't even believe yeah, someone would do that. I can. Yeah. Because we all do it. <laughs> right. It happens to all of us. 
So shock is not going to help it. But again, that's one of those things of culturally just kind of Christian-y. You're, you're supposed to have the shock. You're supposed to be like, I, I can't believe that I, right. as a pastor, <laughs> once was terse with my spouse. Can you imagine? Yeah. The, I get angry in traffic, y'all. I guess it's the most intimate thing I can think to reveal. <laughs> Someone cut me off and I said a swear. Me, the pastor, said a swear. My goodness. <laughs> so that idea of... If it's if we and we do a lot of this. This happens a lot with folks who are recovering in addiction, or people who are kind of coming to the Lord and they're super on fire. There's a moment where that emotion burns off, and then you start thinking stuff again, and it can really play with your mind to think, "Whoa, I thought this was over." So that idea combined with the other smart stuff these guys said, we look at. Uh, don't be surprised. Jesus actually kind of says that a lot. In, in the Bible, when his guys screw up, there's a lot of reactions. There's never surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly worth looking at. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast, gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take you out with, uh, actually, I think we're taking out the recording of the poem Ooh, that oh, Jed wow. talked about earlier. Cool. This is called Thank You. We'll take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we, remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast, fighting the forces of censorship, because you probably aren't even hearing this now. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for everything, especially for saving my life. Thank you for the tools to help me through this strife. Thank you for the wisdom that helps keep me sane. And thank you for the strength to get me through this pain. Thank you for the courage to believe I'll make it through every day. Thank you for the love I feel every time I pray. I ask you for forgiveness for everything I've done. You had tried to show me the way with the moon, the stars, the sun. My eyes were closed for way too long, but now they're wide and open strong. Thank you, God, for creating me just the way I was meant to be.